It's time for the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Brimmer, your number one source for the latest Colts news, information, and discussion. It's time to kick things off. Welcome to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast. I'm your producer, Heather B., and I'm here with your host, CNHI Sports Indiana Colts beat writer, George Brimmer. Last week, the Colts laid an absolute egg, lost to the Raiders 31-24, to and left a lot of us wondering what the heck was going on with this team. They were really bad in all three phases of the game, but most especially on defense. Yeah, I think that was particularly where the, the problems lie. And I thought, you know, it was interesting this week, Frank Wright kind of got up there before a, a press conference and said, look, uh, maybe this was a wake-up call. You know, Jacoby Brissett really started that train rolling during his Tuesday availability when he said the loss was, you know, to to an extent, it was humble pie. And then I think somebody asked uh, Reich specifically about that. You know, was this humble pie? And he said, you know, you don't you don't ever want to. He said there was no reason for this team to start feeling like it had arrived. And you don't ever want to get to a point where you believe you've arrived. Uh, but if that happened, you know, maybe, maybe they just lost a little bit of focus. Maybe that's what happened. And if that happened, then you've got to go and, and correct it, you know. And it basically, I thought the way he kind of phrased it was trying to say this was a wake-up call for this team. That, you know, if you come out and, and you're less than your best – uh, against any opponent or you take somebody lightly and, and he wasn't saying straight up that's what happened but you know look if you watch that game and you saw you know from start to finish to me it was the first time all year where a they weren't really competitive at any point I know the final ends up being a seven point game but that was a two score game from the 803 mark in the first quarter almost uh, till the end of the fourth quarter, when when Chester Roger Chester Rogers caught a pass like five twenty seven to go to make it twenty four to seventeen, every point in between there, the Raiders were in complete control of that football game, and, and I really felt like they didn't have you know they've got those got juice T shirts. That's one of the big things with this team right now. Bring that energy, bring that desire. You know, every Sunday, and it just felt like they were flat. And that, to me, was one of the more surprising things. They just didn't have that energy, that bounce in their step that, that, that they usually have. And when you do that in the NFL, the other team's going to take complete advantage of it. And I thought they were just, you know, even though the final score is 31 to 24, they were absolutely dominated. And it, again, it, it started on the defense. I think they were the most obvious culprit here. Uh, two touchdown drives. On the first two possessions of the game, it was a lightning quick strike. I think 11 plays to get those two touchdowns. The second one was a one one play 60 yard drive, uh, which there was a lot of mistakes on that. You know, obviously letting the reverse get around the end, and then nobody having the angle and, and being able to run them down. But 11 plays, six first downs, two touchdowns to start the game. You can't do that. You can't dig that kind of a hole. And then the offense, I felt like, you know, they went three and out twice in a row to, to get started. But what was really, to me, the most telling thing that the offense did or, or didn't do on Sunday, they had the ball three times in Oakland's territory in the second quarter. And it came away with just three points. The first drive ended with a field goal. 
to make it 21 to 10. The second drive ended with a Paris Campbell fumble at the 15 yard line. And the third drive ended with a missed 57 yard field goal. And that again, it's, it's speaking to missed opportunities and, and, you know, that, that kind of flat nature of the team. There was a chance to get back into that game as bad as the start had gone. And instead of being, you know, a one score game potentially at halftime or even maybe having the lead, depending on how some of those drives wind up, they're down 21 to 10 at the half. And it just, it, it kept them in catch up mode the whole second half. Everybody contributed. You know, there was a muffed punt. They didn't lose it, but there was a muffed punt as well. So special teams had their issues. Every facet of the game was not where it should be. And they, you know, they own that in the post-game locker room. If there's anything to be taken, if there's a silver lining here, it's that they owned it. You know, they, they came out and they said uh, there, there wasn't any attempt to kind of cover up what had happened, to try to make it sound like there was a better effort than there was or, you know, that the, the game had been somehow closer than it appeared. I think Anthony Costanzo said straight up, it happened. Everybody saw it happen. Uh, and there's nothing you can do now but own it and, and make changes going forward. And, and, you know, we saw a very similar thing happen last year against the Jets where they went up and, and they laid an egg and they lost 42-34 to 34 up there on the road. That dropped them to 1-5. and five. It proved to be the low point of the season the rest of the year. Team was red hot, and they obviously went on to, uh, to make the playoffs and lose to Kansas City in the divisional round. You wonder, and, and some people made that comparison this week, is this a low point of this season, and, and, and will we see a better football team the rest of the year? Those are the questions the Colts have to answer. So we all know that Chris Ballard doesn't mess around, and he's not playing with this defense. And he made a move very early this week, releasing Jihad Ward and adding Trayvon Coley. What else does this defense need to do moving forward to prevent what we saw this weekend where they just got absolutely ran over? Yeah, they've got to execute better. You know, I think there's been a lot of focus on the scheme, and I understand that because there's – and a lot of focus on the pass defense, and I understand that as well. I mean, there's been a lot of guys open, especially in the Oakland game, open in the middle of the field. And there were times where if you watch the TV copy, there was nobody on the screen. There was no defender on the screen when when a Raider caught the football. And, and so a lot of people have gone and, and looked at the scheme there and gotten angry because it is his own defense – I can tell you right now, they've ran more man than they did last year. So if you're just looking at the zone part of it, you're barking up the wrong tree. They failed in man too. You know, it's it's execution. Dallas runs the same scheme as this team, and Dallas is not having the same kind of problems. It's execution, and and that goes to all areas. That's not just on the players. You know, maybe the coaches need to do a better job of of getting on the details right now and getting guys in the right place and getting them an understanding of what they need to do. Uh, but whatever the, the kind of miscommunication is right now, it, it's very troubling for this team at this point in the year because it, the failure at defense has been on all levels. The defensive line has played poorly. They're not getting pressure on the quarterback. They're not causing chaos in the pocket, You know, especially the last two weeks. With Matt Ryan and Derek Carr, you saw very comfortable quarterbacks back there with plenty of time to go through their progressions and, and make whatever play they want to make. So the defensive line isn't doing its job. The linebackers aren't doing their job. <clears throat> you haven't seen them you know, do much in coverage underneath. Uh, a lot of those guys that are open over the middle, that's because a linebacker didn't get where he was supposed to be. 
the run defense has been really not even close to what it looked like a, a year ago. That's probably one of the more underrated aspects of, of of this defense right now. You know, people are upset about pass rush, and rightfully so. They're upset about the number of wide receivers that are open, and rightfully so. And they should be just as upset about the number of big plays that are coming from the run game. Because right now, they're getting, and again, that goes back to the defensive line and the linebackers. They're getting no push up front. They're getting thrown off the ball most of the time at the line of scrimmage. And the linebackers aren't filling gaps and making tackles you know, two, three yards downfield. These these runs are going five, six, seven yards or more, and that just opens up so much more for the pass game and exposes so much more of the problems they're having there. The secondary, what's interesting about the secondary right now is when they are on receivers, when they do have guys covered. If you go back to the Tyrell Williams touchdown, everybody on that play is blanketed. And yet somehow at, at the point of contact, at, at the end of the play when the ball's coming in, Quincy Wilson seemed to kind of lose the football, and Tyrell Williams ends up with a touchdown, and Wilson's right there. And we've seen that more than once. I don't want to just single out Quincy Wilson. It's happened to Rocky Seen at times. It's happened to, to several guys in that secondary where they're there to make a play, and they're either on the wrong shoulder, or they don't look back for the ball, or they can't find the ball in the air, or whatever. And it's it's these kinds of mistakes that just keep happening over and over again, and I think that's... Moving forward, you got to clean that up. The Coley move—that's what that was about. Was trying to get—he's a—he's a big 310-pound defensive tackle, and so the Coley move really was about trying to get some big bodies in there. Grover Stewart's the only 300-pound guy they've got on this roster right now on defense, and I think they're just going to try to see can you get some guys in there to take up some space. Now they're not going to go full bore that direction. That's not what this defense is designed to do. They, they've got smaller defensive linemen for a reason. You know, they want that quickness. You're supposed to be able to, to beat the guy in front of you with your speed and your athleticism, get in the backfield. It's not happening. And my guess is they see some of that twitch in Coley or they wouldn't bring him in here. But obviously they're trying to find some guys who can bring a little bit more power, a little bit more bulk to the middle of that defensive line and, and see if that's a way uh, forward. Uh, but honestly, right now, probably the best way forward is to get healthy. I mean, as bad as things have gone, you also, it's not an excuse, but you can't overlook the fact that Darius Leonard, your all-pro linebacker, has missed the last two games with a concussion. Malik Hooker's been out for a game and a half now with torn meniscus in his knee. Pierre Desir was playing about half the time that he normally would play against the Raiders uh, because he dealt with a hamstring all throughout the week, and so... He and Rocky Sin really kind of exchanged roles. Yusin was the starter in the base defense, and and Desir was the guy who came in in sub packages. And so you didn't see him as much as as you would have seen him had he been fully healthy and and, and up to speed. And so you know that's that's a big part of it. They've got to get their their guys back, and, and they've got to get healthy again. But I think you can't underrate right now. They've got to execute. And I know that's so simple. That's true of everybody, you know, every defense in the league. But it seems like that's the main problem with this team right now. They're either in the wrong place, they're doing the wrong technique, uh, and it's it's costing them. And it will. I mean, it doesn't take much to be off in this league uh, to see problems get, get bad in, in a hurry. And so they, they've got to tighten that up. They did it a year ago. You know, the defense was sloppy early, too. I think it's easy to forget. They were they looked pretty bad against Cincinnati. They looked pretty bad against the Jets last year, early in the year. 
Uh, looked pretty bad in New England when they were banged up as well. They had a lot of injured guys. Uh, but last year they were able to kind of figure it out, get back that technique, get back in the right spot, make good fundamental plays. That's what they got to do going forward if they want to fix these problems now. I thought there was one bright spot on the defense on Sunday, and that was the return of Jabal Sheard. He actually played a pretty good game, and maybe that's not a good sign for the rest of your defense that a guy that missed essentially all of training camp, has missed every game so far, comes back and probably is the best player on your defense for the day. I think that's definitely a good point. Jabal Sheard, I thought, was the best guy on the field defensively, and he hadn't done anything since the first day of training camp, really. He's had some limited practices uh, but, you know, he hadn't been out there in live action. And, uh, you know, he looked like Jabal Sheard. Is he going to get better, too, as things move forward? Definitely. But he made some some of the few plays that got made in the run game were, were made by Jabal Sheard. And really, towards the end of the game, when it was 24-17, to 17, they had to get the ball back. Raiders threw a screen pass underneath. And who was there to make the stop? Jabal Sheard. Raiders have to punt. The Colts get the ball back. We know how that ended with the pick six. Uh, but he he did... I thought he was the one guy who made plays that gave them a chance to stay in the game and and maybe even, you know, opportunity to go and win it there at the end. So, yeah, that's the bright spot moving forward. And, again, there's there's reason to believe if this defense gets healthy and they get back to playing good, fundamentally sound football, the talent is there. You know, they, they, they've got to get healthy and they've got to execute. Obviously, the defense isn't the only part of the team out on the field. The offense plays a big part in this, too. What can the offense do to improve itself to help the defense? Well, part of that is they need to get healthy, too. I think you could really feel the absence of T.Y. Hilton on Sunday. It was... Yeah, a lot of people were saying, you know, he made his case for MVP yeah, right there. He he really did. Uh, it was palpable what he brought to this team, you know. And, and I think part of that was Oakland went one step forward than Atlanta. Atlanta fully sold out to stop the run. And Oakland went one step forward. They did that, and they did a good job in limiting that running game and keeping the Colts from getting the big rushes and, and breaking out there. But they also sat back on that underneath stuff. They did a really, really good job of taking away the short passing game. The Colts really through most of the first three weeks, did a good job of moving the ball down the field with, with runs, power runs, and then throwing the ball underneath and guys making, you know, missing tackles and, and breaking plays and turning a five or, or six yard pass into a 10 or 11 yard gain. You know, that's a really effective way to move the chains. And the Raiders were coming up and they were punishing those guys when they caught the football. I mean, you were down there on the field, so you probably could feel it. Uh, but they were receivers and, and running backs were catching the ball underneath. And more often than not, there was a linebacker or a defensive back flying into the ball immediately, delivering a punishing blow and stopping the play right there. You know, not a lot of yards after catch on Sunday. And so that's something they've got to work on. Some of that's play design, some of that's execution uh, that, that, that they need to work on. But I thought the most troubling thing from an offensive standpoint on Sunday was the Raiders came in with 17 plays of 20, 17 pass plays, 20 yards or more allowed. And the Colts really weren't able to exploit that. And there were a lot of things that went into it. They took some shots early. 
there was one in particular where Paris Campbell was open. Jacoby Brissett held on to the ball a, a beat too long, let the defense get back there. That play was broken up. But there were also plays, I know there's one that comes to mind quickly, where, where Eric Ebron was open on the sideline. That was going to be a 20, 25-yard gain. It went off his hands. Uh, there were too many drops in general. I know Ebron had three. Chester Rogers had one. Deion Kane had one. And I don't know if maybe the receiving core was pressing too much. That's what it felt like to me. I don't know. You know, Ebron kind of made some uh, inference to that during the practice week this week that that he was thinking too much. Uh, but I haven't heard that a lot from those guys. But it felt like the receiving core was maybe pressing too much. Everybody was trying to make a big play knowing that T.Y. was out. Uh, and they didn't get it done. You know, and I think they need to go back to playing their game, but they need to get T.Y. Hilton back as well. And it was obvious how much not only he makes plays obviously himself, but how much his presence on the field opens up for other people's by drawing defenders away and, and, and opening up passing lanes. They've got to find a way to do that uh, even when he's not on the field. And, and obviously the drops is a big part of that. Uh, but much like the defense, I, I think there's a lot of fundamental, uh, basic things that didn't go well and that, that led to a pretty bad performance and, and a loss that really is unacceptable in every way for this team. Before we move on to the Pony Express, our mailbag, I want to touch on one thing that happened in the game this week that became national news. Um, you wrote a really good column about it this week, and that's Vontez Perfect. You know that I have really strong feelings about him and his style of play. You know, I think he should have been thrown out of this league three years ago. Um, I don't think his mentality and attitude toward how he thinks he has to do his job has a place in the game anymore. Um, you know, yes, we, they played like that in the 60s and 70s. He probably would have been an all-pro and, you know, Hall of Fame candidate with the way he plays then. But with what we know about CTE, what we know about concussions, and just the toll that this takes on people's bodies, we can't play the game like that anymore. And I think the NFL absolutely made the right decision to suspend him the rest of the season. I know there's a lot of fans that don't think the hit was serious enough, but I think you have to look at the history of his play and the culmination of, you know, this was just finally the last straw. Yeah, I, mean, I wasn't surprised by the one-year suspension. I was surprised that something like that didn't come sooner. Uh, I mean, you're talking about a guy that 13 times has been fined or suspended for breaking the safety rules, you know, and 15 times overall during an eight-year career. I can't think of any job on earth where you could go after, you know, one of the big initiatives of your employer and, and flaunt it the way that, that he has – and not be severely punished or fired in most cases, you know, for not not getting in line. Uh, there is some talk out there now. We're we're taping here on a Thursday morning. There is some talk out there now that, that maybe the, the suspension will be reduced. I know some of the legal people saying uh, because there's no real precedent for it. You know, you haven't seen that happen in the past. And I really think if that's the case, if that's what happens because of the precedent. If if he does see a, a lesser sentence than this, um, then the league really needs to think about putting something into the bylaws here that's really concrete, you know, an escalating punishment scale, however you want to do it, so, to, so that everybody knows going in after the whatever offense, 
you're going to miss a season, you know, whatever you want to do. First one's a fine, second one's a week, third one's four games, fourth one's eight games, fifth one's a whole year, sixth one year's gone, however you want to set that up. Um, because to me, I know there's a lot of times here where, where these hits are, are like, well, was that avoidable, you know, was it intentional? And, and you don't want to get into to, to guessing at a guy's intent, but – from my viewpoint, looking at that video, that's a textbook example of what you're not supposed to do. He leaves his feet, he lowers his, his head, and his target area is his opponent's head. And you end up with a helmet-to-helmet uh, hit that thankfully did not cause any kind of long-term damage to Jack Doyle. Thankfully, he did not come out of the game with concussion symptoms, and he didn't have to. But that's not, you know, the, the reasoning that that, that should, should lessen the punishment against Burfecht, to me, makes no sense. It's like saying a drunk driver shouldn't get a ticket as long as he doesn't kill anybody. You know, just because the worst possible outcome didn't happen doesn't, shouldn't exonerate anybody in this situation. One of the things that kind of boiled my blood a little bit uh, yesterday was John Gruden, the Raiders got out to L.A., or got out to London, sorry. Uh, they're playing the Bears this weekend out there in the U.K., and so they were doing some some media ahead of that, and he said, this really hurts our football team. And my initial thought was, then don't sign players like Vontez Burfecht. This guy had been suspended 12 times before you brought him in for, for doing exactly what he did. It should be a surprise to nobody on earth. He got suspended for it again. So I just I don't buy that line of thinking. You know, this hurts our football team. Then don't sign those guys. Don't sign reckless guys who will hurt your football team. You hurt your football team by bringing Vontez Perfect onto your football team. I have no sympathy for the Raiders in that regard. Not only bringing him onto your football team, but then making him a captain. And I, what I don't understand from Perfect's side is this has cost him five million dollars. Over the course of his career, five million dollars, and he's not a guy who's on a hundred million dollar deal or something. Where you yeah. know, I mean, I mean, he's got money, but yeah, that's that's a good chunk of change. And the other thing is, you know, this isn't just because he might hurt somebody else; he might hurt himself. He could paralyze himself. He could give himself brain damage. It just, I just don't understand. And he was laughing, and he ran right by me as he was going off the field this weekend. Laughing, blowing kisses, waving to the crowd. Um, I, it just unacceptable to me. And I, honestly, that's why I support his this penalty. You know, he's been fined more than five million dollars. He's been suspended thirteen times. None of it has curbed his behavior. He's shown no remorse during that that stretch. Never once has he come out and said, "You know, I wish I didn't do that. I, I need to change the way I play." Uh, instead, he laughs and he blows kisses going off the field. And so there's – I'm not saying there's no place for Vontez Perfect in the game. There's no place for that play in the game. If he wants to do what hundreds of other players have done, thousands of other players have done, alter his approach and not try to hit other people in the head with his head, doesn't really seem like that's that big of an ask, then fine. Let him play. Uh, but to me – You've got to do everything in your power to let players know. Because like you said, it's not just that you can hurt your opponent. You can hurt yourself. And we're talking about really serious, long-term paralysis, death. You know, this is not a funny, laughing matter. Uh, it's something the league really needs to, to crack down on, and they are. You know, so I – look, league punishment is random. It's, it's insane. We know that. 
Uh, it feels like sometimes you spin a wheel to, to figure out what, what's going to happen on, on this particular case. This is one time where I think you can really applaud the NFL for making the right move. All right. When we come back, we will move on to the mailbag, Pony Express. Delivering answers to all of your burning questions about the Colts and the NFL. It's the Pony Express. Welcome back to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast. I'm your producer, Heather B., here with George Bremer, the CNHI Sports Indiana Colts beat writer. And we're going to answer your questions. This week, we have our first question from at Stefan underscore Pats. He says, assuming everyone is healthy, who would be your starting safety pairing post bye week? Yeah, well, the good news is there's reason to assume that, too. There's, there is optimism out there. Uh, Malik Hooker was telling people in the locker room on Wednesday that he feels like he will be ready to go week seven against the Texans, so we'll see how that turns out. Uh, and I think there's, you know, hopefully with this week and in the bye week, Clayton Gathers can get through the concussion protocol and, and be ready to go as well. Uh, but obviously they're going to be extremely cautious with that, as they should. No one's going to push him through that that process. Uh, but uh, my my feeling is if, if everybody's available, if both those things happen, Hooker's ready to go, Gathers is ready to go, I would start Malik Hooker and Kari Willis. I really like what I've seen from the rookie. Uh, I think he does a good job both in the run game, coming up and making plays, and in in the pass game. And I think uh, I think he's the future at that position anyway. Uh, so I think he's playing well enough to to be the starter now. Might as well let him get out there, get that experience. I think you let Clayton Gathers come in, uh, especially in the nickel and, and, and dime in particular packages, and, and do his job that way, bring that physicality that, that he's known for uh, in, in those specific roles. That, that's the way I would handle it. We'll see what the Colts do moving forward. All right, our second question comes from at Smith for Colts. Do you think the QB play has been strong enough for this team to be 4-0? I guess the smart aleck answer is no because they're two and two. Uh, but in in realistically, no. I, I think Jacoby's been good, but not great. And, and I think that's you know at the beginning of the year we talked about you're going to have to kind of change the way you watch this football team and change the way you your expectations for that quarterback position because for 20 years they've had an all time great either on the field with this franchise or you know, waiting in the wings to come back later that year or or the next year, depending on how long Lux's injury was. And now you're dealing with what I think is an above average NFL starter, a good starting quarterback in this league, but not, you know, I, I don't feel like Jacoby has won a game yet for this team. I don't feel like Jacoby has lost a game yet for this team. I think he's doing his job. I think his play has been good. I think Chris Ballard keeps referring to it as, playing winning football that's sort of his phrase he feels like Jacoby Brissett has been playing winning football and I would agree with that uh he's tied for the NFL league with 10 touchdown passes he's only thrown two interceptions Uh, but I I also don't feel like those big time throws have happened yet from from Jacoby and I'm not talking about necessarily 50 yard bombs and that kind of thing I'm talking about that that point at which you know when you were watching Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck and the offense was kind of sluggish the way it was Sunday against the Raiders. It seemed like there would always be a point in that game where Manning or Luck would drop back and they would make some throw and the whole stadium would just kind of go, wow, you know, what was that? Uh, and, and I think Jacoby's capable of that. We've seen that in practice. We've seen it from time to time, uh, you know, out there in training camp. Uh, but I've yet to see that on the field 
on a Sunday. And so I think, you know, that that's the next level, I guess, for him. Can he take a, a day that's not going well for the offense and through the 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 play of his arm alone, can he turn things around? I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying I haven't seen it happen yet. Our next question comes from at Mick Linton, too. He says, do you think Jordan Wilkins will ever get a shot at RB1? Are we too high on Mac, who never seems to stay healthy? It seems every time 20 carries the ball, good things happen. I know he doesn't have top-end speed, but he's tied for most 50-yard runs since entering the league. It's crazy. The, the, that stat with Jordan Wilkins is one of the most funny stats, I think, around this team because he doesn't get a lot of opportunities. And yet so often, somehow when he's out there, he's able to break off these these long, big gainers and, and you know make, make these big plays. But, you know, Marlon Mack is, is the featured back for this team, and rightfully so. I, I don't think – honestly, I don't think it's close. I think Marlon Mack's the best running back on this team. I like Jordan Wilkins a lot. I think he comes in. He does his job very well. He was absolutely uh, incredibly important to the to that Tennessee win. His fifty five yard run there obviously set up the game winning touchdown. And uh, you know I think he comes in and, and he does his job as well as you could possibly ask him to do. I love what Naheem Hines brings to this team uh, in the passing game and in his speed and in elusiveness and versatility, uh, but. Marlon Mack's a total package. I mean, this guy with speed, power, uh, he does it all. And and I think, you know, it's funny. People are still on the, the health thing. He hasn't been hurt this year. You know, he, did he play as much in the second half as, as you would like on Sunday? No, but, you know, Frank Reich pointed out that he was medically, he was able to go back in the game with that ankle injury. He just, they were in hurry-up mode, and, and it was Naheem Hines' packages, and, and we've seen that before where they'll get into a certain offensive set and they'll kind of stick with a running back for, for that time. Uh, you know, I, I, I just, I don't, Mac's been healthy this year. I think he's done a good job with that being out there every game. I think he'll be out there on Sunday and we'll see, you know, maybe, maybe not, maybe this will slow him down this week. Uh, but he thought he could play in the second half and, and, and we'll see how that comes out now. But yeah, this is, this is Marlon Mack's job. And, and I don't think really anybody is, is challenging that right now on the roster. Our last question of the week comes from Travis Lee. It says, your thoughts on the defense? Last year they were a pleasant surprise. This year a disappointment. Our personnel slash injuries, higher quality QBs, people now knowing Eberflus's tendencies as even blitzes aren't making it home. Yeah, you know, just a little bit of all of the above. Uh, I don't think Eberflus has been quite as daring as he was a year ago quite yet. And, and you know, again, we go back to last year. It was a disappointing defense at the beginning of last year, too. I think a lot of times we're thinking about the finished product at the end of the year and and not kind of the process that, that got them there. Um, but I think it's a little bit of all of the above. Injuries obviously have had an impact. You lose Derek, Darius Leonard and you lose Malik Hooker and you have a limited Pierre Desir out there. You know, those are three of the, the biggest guys. Uh, Kenny Moore played the first couple of weeks with club on his hand. I think he's still just kind of getting back up to speed so certainly injuries have had a factor certainly teams having tape on this defense and knowing this scheme a little bit better has played a factor but I also think you know I I don't think they've done as much with the skies as they did uh late in the year last year I don't think that they've blitzed as creatively as they did 
uh, late in the year last year. Like, I haven't seen Kenny Moore come on that corner blitz, you know, really much this year. You haven't seen a lot of the, sort of the more aggressive things that that Eberflus brought to the table yet. And so, you know, some of that's the fact that at times, I mean, this is a, a remarkable but true stat. There were times in the game on Sunday where of the 11 players on the field, five of them were rookies. And so some of that's playing into it too. A lot of these rookies have to play a little bit sooner than than maybe they were expected to. And so I think they're they're still coming together as a unit. I think that's the disappointing thing right now with this defense. There were a lot of people that hoped and had reason to believe that this team would pick up where it left off a year ago. The defense would kind of use the end of last season as a base and build from there. That hasn't happened. They've kind of gone back to square one and, and been building up again. And I think one of the, the tales of, of this season will be told by how effectively Eberflus is able to turn things around the way he did a year ago. First half of last year, this wasn't a very good defense. When they got hot and they went on that 9-1 run, it was a very good defense, and we'll see if they're able to do that again moving forward. All right, that's it for our mailbag. You can look each week for George to send out a tweet at GM Bremer asking for questions. Now we'll move on to our final segment where George will pick his three headlines for the week and make his prediction. Horseshoes and hand grenades, ranking this week's Colts news. Welcome back to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast. George, you're headed out to Kansas City on Saturday. Uh, Going to look for some good barbecue for the game on Sunday night. Uh, what are the three headlines you think you have to see coming out of the Kansas City game from the Colts? Uh, that I have to see or that I will see? Because there's, there's a lot of differences in here. Uh, but I think one of them, uh, it, this is probably the worst week to catch Patrick Mahomes on top of everything else with the struggles the defense is having and the, and the struggles that the offense is having uh, this is probably the worst week that they could be seeing Patrick Mahomes he did not throw a touchdown pass last week in the win against Detroit which is only the second time that's happened in, in his career as a starter here in the league uh, broke a 14 game regular season streak of, of at least one uh, so you know he's going to be a little fired up about that. And then he's at home, and it's a prime time Sunday night game. So he's going to want to make a statement in that regard as well. Uh, so what do we need to see? Mahomes held without a touchdown for the second straight week. Uh, and I think that's it's an interesting factor because I was looking back to the playoff loss uh, earlier this week, and Mahomes did not throw a touchdown pass in that game, which is – was surprising to me because it felt like he did a little bit of everything that day. Uh, the Chiefs really hurt them on the ground. I think they had 130-some yards rushing from from Damian Williams, uh, and, and that really was was where a lot of that came. And Mahomes definitely made some big plays. He scored a touchdown on the ground, and he certainly had some big plays to Tyreek Hill through the air. And, you know, he, he was still Patrick Mahomes, but he didn't throw a touchdown pass that day either. So uh, maybe twice the reason that, that he's going to want to find the end zone on Sunday against the Colts. Uh, the Colts need to, another headline, their running game needs to return. Uh, when you look at the last couple weeks in particular, the Raiders and the Falcons have sold out to stop that run. They've done a really good job of that. The Colts were able to get a big run late when they needed it against Atlanta. I think Mack finished with around 74 yards that day, which is a nice, nice game uh, for him. It was enough to support the passing game. Against Oakland, they never really got it going uh, and I think that was part of the problems, the struggles early. And it wasn't just that they didn't get the big runs. 
five negative runs, five runs that lost yardage Sunday against Oakland. You can't do that against Kansas City. You can't really do it against anybody in the league, but especially Kansas City when you go in knowing that you need a shootout uh, type of contest that to have any chance you can't get behind the chains. You know, they were able to do that on Sunday and it really cost this offense. Those first down runs or you lose a yard or two and now it's second 11, second and 12, and then a receiver drops a pass and now it's third and long and then there's all kinds of trouble uh, coming on third down. You can't see a repeat of that. The running game needs to get back on track and, and find a way to control the clock because that's your best bet, you know. Get that running game going, have long scoring drives. That's your best bet on Sunday if you're going to have any chance in this one. And then the third headline would be they need a big day from Jacoby Brissett. They absolutely have to. He's got to go out and get some big plays in that passing game because they know they're going to have to match some scores. I think Kansas City's averaging 33.8 points a game. You know you're going to have to go out there and probably score five touchdowns to have a chance to stay in this one. Uh, and so that means Jacoby Brissett's going to need to come through with some big-time throws and, and, and some big gains. All right, George, I think I already know the answer to this. Sunday's not going to be pretty for the Colts, is it? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, you never say never in this league, and nobody thought Tampa Bay was going to go into Los Angeles last week and drop 55 points or whatever it was and, and beat the Rams. Uh, obviously, the Lions played a terrific game against the, the Chiefs and lost in the, in the final seconds up there. Uh, at home last week, we're going into Arrowhead Stadium on a primetime game, coming off what was unquestionably your worst performance uh, of the season. And, and with defense that's struggling, I don't see a lot of reason for optimism in this one. Uh, the best news for the Colts is the bye week's right around the corner. Hopefully you can get healthy, get ready for that big game with Houston. I'm picking maybe 41-20 to 20, uh, in favor of the Chiefs on Sunday night. All right, that's it for this episode of Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. As always, follow George on Twitter at GM Bremer and look for his content each week at your local CNHI newspaper. We'll see you back here next week, and we'll leave you with the words of Ted Theodore Logan and Billis Preston Esquire. Be excellent to each other. You've been listening to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Bremer. For more Colts news and information, follow George on Twitter at GM Bremer. And join us next time for more of the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast.